Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash westwood1. All lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash westwood1 now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash westwood1. This message is intended as a reminder that we are not licensed professionals, not psychiatrists or psychologists. If you have a serious problem, please seek professional help. The National Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. Mic check one, two. Mic check one, two. Hearing all these letters read aloud by damsels not in distress. Host came to impress. Bitch, check your DMs. This is hot off the press. Hi. I'm so excited about the episode today. Me too. I have been a little bit fussier in the last 24 hours. What happened is, to be fully disclosure, I went to my nail lady and she was like, you know, I adore you, but I think you really need to work on your voice. She's like, I think you give off anxious energy. And like, you need to work on the energy you give off. Like you need to have a more like gentle presence. Like you're not bubbly. And sometimes like your sentences like ramble. And I was like offended by this because one, like, you know, through working in the entertainment industry, one of the things that I do is voiceover. So like my voice has not been something that I've been concerned about in the past And also, like, I would never want to give off energy that made people anxious. And I think also, like, I've always considered myself bubbly. And maybe bubbly is not the word, but maybe I considered myself, like, vivacious or, um, like, outgoing, I guess. Just, like, friendly. And, like, I guess I care a lot about being, like, a friendly, like, warm presence. Like, to not be, like, a, a friendly, welcoming presence would be something that bothered me. And I think it's weird when like somebody makes a comment about you. That's not how you see yourself. Um, Like at least it's hard for me to swallow. And I always want to be like open to feedback and criticism because like, I think you can learn so much from people and you can't fault people for their impressions of you whatsoever. But I do think that like taking in feedback that you don't inherently believe about yourself is like something that's a hard pill to swallow. Um, I'm confused at where your nail lady gets off telling you this. Like, what was the conversation? Were you like, I would like the color white for my nails today. And she just spiraled into this. She told me, she's like, I think you have everything you need to be successful, but you need to work on your voice. And yeah. And my energy. Um, is she a casting director on the side of her nail business? (laughs) No. Why are you listening to your nail lady? I was really offended. It's just a random and rude thing to say to someone. If you Did you ask for this feedback? Absolutely not. I did not ask. And then I asked if she gives this feedback to all her clients. <laughs> and she said, no, just the ones who I feel are ready to hear it. Okay, well, you know what? If you wanted that advice, you would go to like a tarot card reader or something. <laughs> like, I don't understand, but... Um, well, I don't feel that way about you. And I don't think you should take one person's opinion. Like, I don't know why she felt the need to tell you this, like, especially if you didn't ask for it. I mean, I get it, though. I feel like I've been a little bit sensitive too, and maybe that's because I'm on the period. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I feel like I'm the same way. Literally last night I was in Ralph's and I hadn't been in a while. So I had to get a bunch of stuff. And this like teenage boy behind me was like, wow, you bought the whole store. And I was like, First of all, where's your mother? Second of all, like, 
it literally upset me for like five minutes. And I know you were probably said that. I've been upset with this for almost 24 hours. In fact, 24 hours. Well, you shouldn't feel that way. I was just thinking how lucky I was to have chosen you for to do this podcast because you wow. have a very you have a very soothing presence. You always give me really good advice. You always ask the guests very good questions. And I don't think that you should let, um, first of all, you need to break up with your nail lady. Your nail lady ghosts you. She tells you you have an anxious energy. Lauren, there are plenty of other nail places. Go somewhere else. Good. It's changed my nails. Oh my God. No, I get it. Look, I got marbled on this time. Oh, they're beautiful. Yeah. It is my toxic relationship in my life. Um, I have not been on the dating apps because I think that it's funny because I, you know how I've said I'm going to take a break, like probably like five times on this podcast so far. And then I never do. Mm -hmm. I always blamed it on like society's pressure for me to find a partner, but I'm also like starting to like reflect back on our episode with Lily and realize that I kind of have an unhealthy relationship with my phone Mm -hmm. and when I'm bored, I go to the same apps. Like I'll go to Instagram and I'll go to Hinge or I'll go to Twitter. And like, they're, they're kind of like a time suck. Like I remember it was, when was it Sunday that we were both up early and like texting Yeah, at like 6am? I don't know why we were both up, but, um, I literally thought to myself, like, you need to take your phone out of your room and put it somewhere else. Cause it's like, that's the first thing I do when I wake up, I'm just on it all the fucking time. And it's just like, wasting a bunch of my energy I need to stop giving my energy to people who don't deserve it and things that don't deserve so much of it like my phone and like fuck boys and I just want to like take a break from everything and think about what really makes you happy Mm -hmm. like what are the activities that you do that you truly feel happy because mm-hmm. you should be doing more of that and less of the things that make you unhappy. Yeah, I just, I'm tired of just constantly being on the apps and like, who am I going to talk to next? And who's going to consume my time? It's just a cycle that isn't working for me right now. And I'm just trying to take a step back from it. Sounds like we both need to get rid of some toxic energy. Definitely. And you know who's a great person to help us do that? I think I have an idea, but tell me who. Our guest today. Let's go chat with her. All right. So we're so excited to welcome Rachel Wolfson to the podcast today. Rachel is an LA-based comedian, a cannabis advocate. She makes her own memes. She's just an overall badass. I don't know if I missed anything there, Rachel. (laughs) Yes. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm excited to be here on the internet, not in real life, but one day, maybe in real life. I know. And you're in LA right now, right? Yeah. Are you both in LA? I am. Lauren is in Philadelphia. Yes, but I should be in LA normally. Did you, did you move back in with your parents temporarily? Yeah. So I've been living with my parents during the pandemic, but my boyfriend um, moved to New York also. So I was long distance like you, but it was like more convenient also to be on the East coast since he like, he moved in February to New York. Right. Oh my God. I also moved back in, but temporary, like temporary yeah. my parents, um, for a good portion of the pandemic. Yeah. Like yeah. A lot of people are like just getting back. I feel like to normal life, sure. whatever the new normal is. I kind of liked it though, because when else are you going to get to spend this like quality time with your parents when they're now like not your authoritative, right. They're your friend. Yeah. You know? Like, I can smoke weed in front of my parents now, whereas, like, that would never happen. We definitely want to talk about you being a cannabis advocate as you are engaging over there. So please tell us, like, a little bit about how you got involved with that and, like, why you were inspired to be a cannabis advocate. Um, Well, basically, I started getting into weed in college because – my history is basically um, I live with depression and anxiety. I have I was diagnosed from an early age with it, um, I think officially when I was 12. But I also was diagnosed with ADHD when I was as young as five years old and like started taking pharmaceuticals like Ritalin and Adderall like at a very, very young age. Five is, you know, very young. So throughout my adolescence, I was on pharmaceuticals and then Um, I got to college and I went away to college in Vermont, which is extremely liberal, like the most liberal (laughs) state in the 
in the, uh, in the country, but that was after being, um, spending my senior year of high school in a lockdown in Utah, kind of like what Paris Hilton, uh, lockdown that she, uh, went through that her new documentary has an episode about, I believe. Um, so I went from one of the most conservative states being medicated, you know, um, continuing that process to then moving to Vermont, discovering cannabis, um, through like an ex-boyfriend or something. And then I just fell in love with it, but I was still carrying a lot of shame because my parents are work. In, um, well, my dad's a politician. Both of them were. It wasn't until that I moved, I moved while well, I was in Vermont and then I moved to DC, um, started smoking heavily there, moved down to Florida. When I was in Florida, the cops showed up at my door one time because of a smell of weed and I got freaked out and I was living there for like five years and I was like, fuck this. Um, I'm going to move to California. I want to be closer to home and I want to live in a place where like weed isn't so stigmatized and it's not so illegal. Cause at the time I was living in Florida, um, weed was so incredibly illegal that even if they found the smallest amount, it was a felony. So I moved to California and my family's from Las Vegas and I didn't want to move there. So I moved to LA. My dad's born and raised in the Valley. So I'm like Valley girl adjacent. Uh, <laughs> but, um, I moved out here. I wanted to work in entertainment. I had a background in marketing. That's what I went to college for. And I just took any job. I've always worked since I was 15 in and out of any kind of job, restaurant industry, um, you know, uh, receptionist. I worked, you know, whatever. And then I started my own little marketing thing. And then eventually one day it just like clicked. I was like, I need to, I should, I should work in weed. Like I need to like, start getting into weed in college. I studied normal. Um, I took a class on social movements and that was the, the, you know, the social movement that I wanted to study because it is a social movement. Basically, um, I dated, I went from dating a guy when I moved out to LA, I moved in with him. I thought I was going to marry him. Um, he really gave me a hard time about weed and mind you, I just moved to LA. I'm so excited to finally be in a place where weed's legal. And here I am dating this guy who's like very controlling and even like, just would shame me for it. Like, he'd be like, you change when you're on weed. I'm like, no, I just become more of the person that I am, you know, <laughs> like yeah. this is just who I am. So him and I broke up and then I started dating someone else who smoked a lot of weed and he worked in the industry. He worked with Tommy Chong. Um, and then through that, I started making my memes. I started dabbling, like helping out at the, the cups, um, the High Times cups, working for um, cannabis brands. Then I met my friend, Olivia, who is the founder of Kush Clean. I sent her a resume on LinkedIn. I found, I found, how I discovered her was I was on Instagram. I started my Wolfie memes account. Um, cause I was like, okay, I'm going to make memes. What do I love? I love weed. So I'm going to make memes about weed. And at the time there wasn't like a lot of female focused weed accounts that weren't women with just like nugs on their nipples and like, and that's fine. There's a place for that. I just didn't relate. You know what I mean? And like yeah. me, it just made weed kind of grunt grungy. And I just thought, well, weed can be like dope, you know, it can yeah. be, and it can be women smoke weed women who look like me you know don't look like me women we smoke weed people smoke weed so um it was through that I sent Olivia who I found all of these huge cannabis accounts that were being marketed so beautifully like it was the aesthetic it was female focused it was high-end content I mean like everything else before was just like low-res photos and like repurposed shitty male like humor weed memes. Sent her a, uh, a resume. We met up. And then from that moment on, her and I teamed up. We started making content for the Bud or Bud Feed, formerly known as, which was her YouTube. Um, we started a podcast. We started going, um, you know, just creating so much content at a time where, again, um, it's much different than it is now. There just wasn't that much content out there that was high end high quality, female focused, educational, well done, people who looked like us. And that's like kind of how um, I really got into the industry. And then I 
started bud tending. I started working for Dr. Dina, who's like a really well-known popular figure in cannabis, um, female owned business owner who's been doing it since before it was legal. She's a real OG. Um, and just like, you know, if I wanted to, I, w I wanted to be about it. I wanted to, you know, if I was going to be out here representing the plant or interested, I wanted to work with it. I wanted to, you know, get to know the plant per se. Yeah. Um, and so I also felt like some kind of responsibility of like using my image to kind of normalize it. Um, because again, like there wasn't girls who looked like us who felt comfortable with like posting themselves with a picture, smoking a joint, like, you know, so many of us were scared we would get fired or we wouldn't get into that college or like our family would disown us, you know, and that's a real fear that people still, um, you know, live with today, depending on where you are and, you know, where you're from. So that's the long story short <laughs> of how I got basically into to cannabis. And now today um, I use my memes to transition into stand up, which is my main love now. Yeah. And that's actually how I started getting into writing about it because when I was doing my master's thesis in like 2015, I decided I wanted to do it on cannabis and how it affects mental health. And it was actually really hard even in 2015 to find like any kind of research on it, any kind of books on it. I mean, I think the best like advice or like big takeaway that I got from that was from a lot of the doctors and nurse practitioners that were recommending it to patients. They were like, it's not for everyone. Like, it's obviously not going to be for people that, you know, like, and there's also so many different strains, right? So like, if you have anxiety or you have like an underlying condition, you have to be really careful with that. But they were saying that, like, I thought it was so interesting. They were like, for PTSD, it's the best thing, like hands down. They were like, people get off of all of their meds. They stop like hitting their partners in the middle of the night. And it was just so interesting back then because I feel like the stigma was still there. Kind of like you were talking about Rachel of like, oh, it's not a real medicine. People are just like stoners that are on it. And like, kind of like switching that perspective. It's just been like interesting to see over the years. Well, very much so the, the stigma is still there depending on, you know, like I, there was this guy, this like policymaker, I think he worked like in the White House, his name's Kevin Sabat. He's terrible. Um, I don't know how I even was following him. I think it was to just basically troll him because he pushes out like still like articles of information against the the medicinal use of cannabis, and he just talks shit about it. And it's like, dude, this is so tired. You know what I mean? Like we're not yeah. thinking like this anymore. This is like an this is not an evolved way of thinking about cannabis, and it's just the wrong side of history. Um, and yeah, there's very much, you know, and there's just still so much work to still be done. And there needs to be, you know, there's the, the fact that we live in the United States, but half the country doesn't have access to something, you know, and depending on where you are and, and, you know, the color of your skin, you're more likely to be arrested for something like cannabis. So until that stops happening, until we um, you know, release people from the jails and the prison systems for cannabis incarceration, like the work is not done. So it's, and I, and, and that's another thing that um, as much as I wanted to use my image, I wanted to bring that educational side and not just be a white woman who smokes weed on Instagram for likes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I think that that has, there has been a, um, a there's been more of that and that's fine again but that's not who I want to be and that's not you know what I wanted to represent and it is always going to come down to weed is a social movement it very much is a medicine um and yeah there is more work that needs to to happen yeah like how you were saying those girls with like the whatever like over their nipples like the leaves over their nipples like how shitty is that when people are still like incarcerated for this like it's just so ridiculous to see and also a big thing is is it I think it's epilepsy that it's really good for and people have to like move their kids over state lines in order for them to get this medicine like it's just so ridiculous Charlotte's um there's a documentary about the girl Charlotte. I think that was, I think she recently passed away, but she was one of the kids that had um, epilepsy and like they were able to reduce her seizures down to almost like nothing, you know, which is incredible. Um, and 
yeah, the fact, like you said about the science, there's just no funding for it. Like the government doesn't care to put any funding towards um, any of it, which is ridiculous because there's so much um, science, there's so much that's being said about how cannabis can fight cancer cells and um, like epilepsy or uh, PTSD and other kinds of mental health and physical health and it's like okay well we won't know officially until we get money and to pay the scientists to research it until then we're just our own guinea pigs you mentioned that um stand-up is your first love or your your main love so curious how that's been within the pandemic i mean it's been it's been rough because i think i did my last show official show was i had a spot or no, it was, I didn't have a spot. I came upon a spot. I got a spot last minute at the comedy store. And um, it was like such a great show. I even have footage of it. It was the night that Tom Hanks found out that he got coronavirus. And then I think the NBA started canceling um, like the season. And I remember looking down at my phone. I was at the store. I just got off stage, had probably one of the best sets I had had you know, ever. Um, I was just really loose, crowd work, topical about coronavirus. Um, and I, I think even in that moment, I was like, oh shit, like what is going on? You know? Mm -hmm. And that's, and then things started canceling more and I was like, okay, like, I don't even think I processed at that moment that that would be one of the last times, like I would be doing stand up, or at least like for the foreseeable future. Um, and basically, uh, you know, I, we went back home to Vegas, my boyfriend and I moved back in with my parents because we were living in a loft that was like 500 square feet. And um, basically, I was like, losing my mind, you know, one, I just lost stand up. Um, and we're just like hunkered down inside. And it's like, it's, it's a mind fuck. Yeah. So we went out to Vegas and things were a little bit more opened up and we were able to get some spots um, after a while. So I think I've been one of the lucky ones in that I've been able to like, you know, get up once a month, once or twice a month in the pandemic. And like people, I feel like most of us are now just starting to get back to doing a show. I, we did like a couple Zoom shows and I hated it. I just, it's not stand up. It's just like fake, it's like fake stand up. Um, I'm, you know, it's, uh, you, for me, I, I just relish the like in-person live connecting with an audience, hitting, feeling the laughs, yeah. um, that release, that validation. And so, yeah, it hit me really hard. Like I, my depression has been, you know, very intense during this pandemic. I feel like I'm just now starting to come out of it because things are starting to open up and I'm starting to get, you know, work is starting to come back a little bit. Um, but again, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like a baby in comedy. I'm only four years in. Um, but it's something that I, I have ever since I started, I haven't stopped. It's been a consistent in my life for four years and something I do pretty much every, every day, and every night, as much as possible. You know, I was opening for headliners, going on the road with them, traveling, like, it was starting to be, um, you know, it was, it was becoming a real, like, okay, this could be a real thing for me if I just keep going. So, yeah, I mean, I just, uh, I'm just waiting for it to come back. Yeah. And also that word pivot, which I hate, but it's like, how can you pivot? Uh, how can I, I work on other things and other skills? Um, and I've just been trying to get more into sketch and acting and writing and um, kind of strengthen those things and work on the things that I can control. So we want to talk a little bit about your relationship with Matt and how you guys met. So let's yes. start there. Matt and I met actually years before we started dating. It's pretty wild. Um, uh, my friend Vanessa Johnston, she's a comedian. She was like, it was like my first year or two in comedy, probably, yeah, like within my first year of comedy, she's like, let's go to the comedy store. We did a mic and 
um, we're on the patio and she always loves to get pictures. Like she wants, you know, get someone take a picture of us. <laughs> um, next thing I know, she hands her phone to Matt. We're on the patio. Um, he takes a selfie of him and my phone. And then he takes a picture of us. And she introduces us. She's like, Matt, just Matt. He's paid regular here. Um, and then this is Brian Simpson. And we were just like chatting or whatever. Um, and yeah, just, I remember like before this, Vanessa is like a social butterfly. She'll, you know, we'll be in a group. And like the next thing I know, I'm just like, what I'm looking at my phone or, you know, sometimes you're just high at the comedy store <laughs> and you can't be bothered. <laughs> and Next thing I know, like Matt and I are talking and we're like, Selena comes on the radio or something happens. And like Selena, the movie Selena gets brought up. And I just was like, ah, oh. in my mind, I'm like, I love a man who loves Selena, you know, or knows, or like, uh, it's like a appreciation of Selena. And he just, he had a good laugh. He had a good smile. He just had a good vibe. And I just didn't, you know, I did, I just, I think she told me afterwards that he has a girlfriend but then I heard like Vanessa so that, that that was at the comedy store in like 2017 and then like Vanessa and I hung a few days later and I had heard that Matt was asking about me but I had a boyfriend and he had a girlfriend but I I had I like Vanessa made a comment that he was asking about me and I just was like I just paid no attention to it, but I remember like kind of like storing it, lock, key, like I can't do anything about it now, but I'll just remember, save that information. One night, like years later, one night years later, like we're reading a book. <laughs> it was stormy. <laughs> three. Uh, so basically what it ended up happening, you know, I was in this relationship and that came to an end. We were together for like two years. And he ended up, my ex ended up, I think, leaving me for someone who, in the office. And they work in comedy. Okay, we hate him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually totally okay with it because I want him to be happy. Yeah. Um, and I'm with Matt and I just like wouldn't have it any other way. But yeah, we'll hear your real thoughts later. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Like, now that we're on camera. No. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically I went through a breakup and I rebounded with this guy who did improv and he gave me mono. It should be no surprise. Sorry, it's not funny. That's not funny. Hilarious. Actually, it makes perfect sense. Um, <laughs> I just, this guy that did improv gave me mono. I love that sense. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's... um Anyways, so that happened and, but you know, like I just got out of a relationship. This guy at the, you know, was really hot who I rebounded with. Like I deserved it. You know what I mean? Like at least it was, it, it, it could have been worse. So I got that out of my system and I kind of just like for the first time was like single, wasn't, you know, attached to anyone. I'm healing and Next thing I know, I just like, I can't get Matt Edgar out of my mind. This person that I literally had one encounter with, but I had, it's like I, I had created a space where I could remember that um, he was like interested and he was asking about me. And I thought that was very like romantic and flattering because mm -hmm. I love when a man asks about a woman on his own and and, and to add, instead of like going to the DM or whatever. Yeah. But side note, I had a moment of weakness when I was with my ex-boyfriend um, where it was like the end of our relationship. I think it was New Year's. My ex went back East. We did, we did not spend it together. And I slid into Matt Edgar's DMs. I did. <laughs> so there was, there was always like something drawing me to him. So, so I slid into his DMs and it was completely innocent. I just said... Matt Edgar. And was it on like a wait on I need more details? Was it like on something he posted or were you just, no, just honestly like Matt Edgar? I remember it was New Year's. I was like feeling lonely and yeah. like I just we had like followed each other on Instagram and I 
and like I don't know I think like he popped up or something and I sent him his name I said Matt Edgar and it was late I th- obviously I was like drinking or something it's New Year's you know my boyfriend doesn't want to be with me <laughs> uh also is this the ex that was mean to you about weed or different no ex? no okay. no so I sent him his name and then I fell asleep and I and I also just like forgot about it because he didn't reply back right away and I was like fuck this guy like <laughs> I shouldn't even be doing this whatever um and so I wake up to a point like he's pointing to himself like him and I just like never responded so cut to like months later the spring my ex and I break up I hook up with the guy who gave me mono um and then like I just like I'm alone and like Matt Edgar comes into my mind and it's just like the universe is like sending me Matt Edgar Matt Edgar and I'm just like the more I like try to ignore it the more like it just gets louder and I'm like fuck and so I asked my friend Sarah Weinshank who is friends with his best friend Tony Hinchcliffe and I was like um you know she was gonna go this festival in New York where Tony was going to be a part of it and I was like ask Tony if find out if if Matt's single you know curious so she doesn't (laughs) (laughs) she's like I forgot sorry New York completely forgets I'm like you had one job (laughs) um what the fuck um and cut to um so Jeff Garland earlier this that year before my ex when my ex and I were together in January right around the time that I had like messaged Matt that one time Jeff asked me to open for him and I didn't realize that Matt was um Jeff's opener so basically um I opened for Jeff I thought I bombed so I never thought I would hear from Jeff again (laughs) but Jeff's actually a really important figure in my life he's like a, a comedy dad to me he's like a mentor so, um, you know, I was, it all, it's weird how it all happened because it felt, it feels like the universe now in retrospect that I'm laying it out and like saying all these things that happened, like it was like the universe was pulling Matt to me because, or us to each other. Um, so after my ex and I break up, I hooked up with the improv guy, got that out of my system, asked Weinshank about Matt. She didn't. I was hanging out at the improv one night and I think I had a, or I think I had a spot. I had a spot and then Matt was opening for Jeff in the, uh, in the, um, lab that Jeff had a show there every Friday and Matt would often open for him. So I was done hanging out on the patio smoking Jeff and Matt get done. Um, and I see them leave and they're with this like beautiful Brazilian model or Colombia, you know, just this gorgeous girl and they all get into a car, but they stop and say hello. And I say hello to Jeff, give him a hug. I say hello to Matt, you know, whatever. And I remember thinking like, that must be Matt's girlfriend. <laughs> she was with Jeff. Um, so yeah, but um, so I kept seeing him. And so basically at this point now, that was in like April or May. Now get to June. When, when's Father's Day? June. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we're in June. So that happened. So basically I had, DM, I, I had DM'd him in January. My ex and I broke up like around Valentine's Day or short or like after that March. Now I see him at the improv in April. And I think I opened for Jeff another time, May. And cut to Jeff hits me up text me out of the blue father's day what are you doing let's go get lunch let's go to the dispensary and I was like okay and I was like it's perfect because he'll pick he'll pick me up we'll go get lunch and I'll ask him about Matt because at this point I had seen him at the improv he he's you know Jeff's opener I'll ask him so Jeff and I go to lunch we pull up to the grove he gets out of his car and I just like blurt out. I'm like, um, you know, Matt Edgar, I have a crush on him. He was like, it's perfect. And I was like, that's all he said. That's literally the only thing he said. And I was like, what's perfect. He's like, well, him and his girlfriend just broke up. 
Um, Annie's moving to New York in September. And mind you, this is June. And I'm like, that's not perfect. He's moving to New York in September. Like, this is terrible. Why would, why is this amazing? (laughs) So, you know, we go and have lunch or we go before we have lunch. Jeff takes me to go. uh, He has to return something at at this leather store. And then Jeff is like, I'm going to buy you this notebook and a pen. Every writer needs, you know, you need a notebook and a new pen. And I'm like, Jeff, you don't have to do that. He's like, no, anything for my future daughter-in-law. You're my future daughter-in-law. And I was like, um, so wild. So Jeff and I have a lunch, great lunch, whatever. He drops me off. And he's like, you know, I'm going to have you and Matt over uh, next week for dinner. I love it. Next thing I know, you know, the week after we're having dinner, Jeff, Jeff, you know, we all have sushi, smoke joints. Jeff goes to bed. Matt and I are sitting by the fire and we're just like talking all night. And Jeff is like, Matt, you can give her a ride home, you know? <laughs> um, and so Matt gives me a ride home. We had the best conversation. Like, I remember like fantasizing about him and he turned out to be like so cool and just such like a good person, loves stand up, you know? Um, and he was really into me. And I was like, wow, this is, this is weird. This is wild. So anyways, he takes me home, but he doesn't kiss me. And I'm like, well, fuck Matt Edgar, because <laughs> he's not into me. He's been twice now that you've been like, fuck this dude. Yeah, and I'm just like, because I'm just like, I don't know. But then, so basically Jeff is like, I'm going to have people over for 4th of July. And he's like, I'm going to invite you and I'm going to invite Matt. But I, after like Matt and I spent this night together, I hadn't heard from him. And I'm like, I know he had just like recently gotten out of a breakup and I was just, he's moving to New York. So I was like, whatever. So I basically wait like days. I don't hear from him. And I text him and I was like, um, do you want to come over and smoke a joint? after your set because he had a late night set at the store then he was like yes so he came over smoked a joint and then like (laughs) we're talking till four in the morning and I look at him and I'm like so do you want to smoke another joint you want to go upstairs and make out and and that's when he kissed me so I was like is this guy just not gonna put the moves on me am I crazy like what you know whatever and that's you know, and that's what started that. Like we've basically never been apart ever since. And wow, that's beautiful. Oh. I know. I love that story. It's like it's funny. Like you had to kind of do a couple things to be like, okay, like do you want to come over? Do you want to make out? Like it's like because everyone's always like, oh, wait for the guy to do it. Wait for the guy to do it. And you were like, okay, I'm impatient. Like I've already waited months. Let's just. I broke my own rules. Um, I'm very much like old fashioned in a sense of like you don't call the guy, you don't text the guy, you don't, you know, but at the same time, it just felt like, why not? I, we deal with rejection all the time um, as comedians and entertainment. And I just felt like, I don't know. It felt, I don't think that's always the case too. Like, I think again, it's everyone is different, but it definitely feels like a lot of the time, like the roles are reversed and I don't necessarily hate that, you know? Yeah. I think sometimes you inherently know when it's time to break your own rules. Cause like with my boyfriend, we've been together for five years. And when we first started dating, um, he didn't want to date me because he had just graduated college and he was like, I want to stay single. Like I'm not, he, his whole quote was relationships are all about sacrifice and I'm not ready to sacrifice. So I had to convince him to date me from for a year until like we met. And then a year later was when we started dating. Um, And I, like, if my friends were to ask me about that, I would say like, absolutely do not, you should never have to convince somebody to date you. But it worked out like in that one instance. So I feel like sometimes there is like a gut instinct where like for this one person, I'm going to break my own rules. Yeah, I think exactly. Like 
you know, sometimes you got to throw the rule book out mm-hmm. to get what you want or to get, you know, whatever. And it's case by case basis. And yeah, I mean, I think that's also like the way that romance and relationships are interpreted is because of the way it's been marketed to us like Prince Charming, they're supposed to save us. We're supposed to be waiting for this. And it's like, no, bitch, we got to go out and get what we want. You know, Chipotle just doesn't show up at your door if you don't order it. You know what I mean? Like, I like that. You got to like put it out there. Um, And yeah, I think that it's just like, you you can't judge yourself for, um, for, for, what who you are and what you have and everyone's different but you guys were in a long distance relationship LA to New York and our letter writer today (laughs) also was in a long distance relationship so the letter says dear damsels I live in Los Angeles and while one of the very few perks of this pandemic has been quarantining with my boyfriend time has come for him to go back to New York City where he lives and works We're both at a point in our careers where we feel like we need to be in different cities, but after spending so much time together, I'm a little worried about switching back into long distance mode. We were doing fine with this before the pandemic as our lives and careers were really busy, but now that I've gotten to spend more time with him, I'm a little more sad letting him go. While we both realize that our respective cities are what is best for us both at this moment, I'm still really going to miss him. Any tips to spice up our love life and help us still feel connected as we part ways this time around? Sincerely going the distance. Hmm. relatable content yeah well I mean for me I feel like Brian and I have done long distance many different points in our relationship so I relate to this heavily because since I've been on the east coast we've been spending more time together I also feel like I relate to this in like the potential of leaving my parents um that I'm going to miss them when I'm back on the west coast but in terms of tips to spice up your relationship I do feel like when you're getting back into your routine without them, I feel like the hard part about it is that you're still in your routine, but they're just no longer there. And it kind of, it's hard to be on that side of things because for them, they're going back and it's all new and they haven't been doing it. So they can see the friends that they haven't seen in a while. But for you, since you're still in your routine, I really do feel like distraction is going to be your best friend for the initial And I know your question is about spicing up your relationship, but I feel like it is important to talk about how you're going to deal with this in terms of your own sanity, because I do think it's going to be hard for the initial few weeks. Um, For me, in terms of spicing up your love life and keeping connected while you're away, I think that one thing that's really important is having like emotional talks about what that's going to look like and being honest because I think when you do get involved in your routine with somebody you forget to have these like deeper emotional connections and when you're spending so much time together you sort of get into the mundane and I feel like reminding yourself about why you're so deeply connected and how you were able to do that for so long is really important at least for me I mean I'm kind of emotional so that that makes me feel better when I can like check in with why I wanted to be with them in the first place basically for me what I mean, it was so intense. It was like our relationship had just started, but it also had this like doomsday <laughs> um, date to it, I guess. But we knew that um, we we knew we wanted to be together. So I guess from that, it started with that. Like for me, when I entered, I, I never expected to even be in a relationship with Matt because I knew he was moving to New York and how important that was for his career. And so from someone who values stand-up and loves stand-up, and, and knows how much that comes first in a lot of ways. Um, I wasn't going to be like, I want to be in a relationship with you. I wanted him to, to see, I wanted to know how he felt because, you know, um, that was important for me because then I would be able to let my guard down. So, you know, I think if you guys are at that point, you know, establish, like, do you guys both want to continue to be together? Like, is there an end point to this? long distance like these are some questions you guys hard questions that you have to discuss because the the worst thing about being in a long distance relationship is not knowing if there's an end to it because otherwise and I've been in those places where you know I did a long distance relationship a couple times in college and you know unless you guys have the end goal of 
ending up together and getting married, like there's really no point for it. It's just going to cause pain or at least, at least like where it's exclusive. Like if maybe you guys can have like an open situation or, you know, whatever, how mature or not. Um, if you guys are committed to each other, then you have to come to, uh, you know, decide where you're going to live. Like, you know, what is, how long does the distance look like? Um, and again, distraction is, was great. Like, you know, hanging out with friends going, I was about to say going to open mics, but that's not a thing. Like, Mm -hmm. um, finding ways to distract yourself, work, working out is important, taking care of yourself, um, treating yourself, being kind to yourself, because again, this is a loss. So you're going to grieve, um, you know, maybe pedicures, manicures, you know, create things to look forward to. And that's another thing is like, if you can, if you're in a place where you guys can like plan a trip already, create something to look forward to also gets you excited and replaces that pain of grief and loss with like, you know, um, something to look forward to again. Also for spicing things up. Um, yeah, I mean like phone sex, explore that. Don't be afraid. Um, do what feels comfortable, but also, you know, um, send pictures, like get creative, you know, have it's, that's probably like what I would recommend. In some ways I like long distance. I totally agree with you. Like the expiration date is important. Like I know that the long distance period is not going to be forever, but I also think that when you are long distance, it gives you such a great opportunity to be truly present with your friends and your life and your career and the same for them. And you almost like come back to each other and talk about everything. I think the hard part is that you wish you were experiencing all the things you are experiencing with them. But if you just try to remember that like at some point, if there is the expiration date on the long distance, then you will be having these experiences with them. And for now, like what an opportunity to be truly present in your own life. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, we get into these roles that are so comfortable to us and that we're expected to be in, which is like a relationship role to be a girlfriend or a mother or wife or whatever. And it's like, again, like you said, the long distance and I think a healthy distance creates that place where you can come back to your individual self and like really where do we get to honestly as we get older we get less us time you know we have kids we have a husband we have a business we have a you know this and that and it's like um you know I think that's also why with the pandemic maybe a lot of relationships might be struggling you know like it's just not healthy to spend so much time together, especially like if you're in a new relationship or it doesn't matter what kind of old relationship or whatever. Um, and, but we don't have the luxury of like going outside or like doing things really. So, um, I really think a pandemic, like a lot of couples are really getting to know like the real person that you are physically look like what you emotionally look like. Um, so yeah. I feel like I can't talk about long distance too much because every time it can be argued that I move away from my serious relationships and then they don't work out because that's what happened when I moved out here. And I can attest to the fact that when you don't have an expiration date, it does not work because it's like we were fighting a lot and I appreciated like some of his feedback. He was kind of like, you know, I feel like we're not having phone sex enough. And I was like, I feel like we're doing it every night, but okay. Um, but I feel like everything we were fighting about was kind of just like that I wanted to be out here and he wanted to be back in Virginia where he was. And it was almost like he was like hoping that I would come out to LA and not like it. And then there, he would like, you know, make comments like, oh, you leased a car for three years. Like you're planning on being out there for three years. And I'm like, I mean, yeah, I'm not just going to move here and move back. Like, but yeah, I just think it was always this underlying thing of like, what's the solution here? Cause you don't want to be here and I don't want to be there. And I just feel like situations like that never work. Mm-hmm. I, I dated the guy, this guy long distance we met when I was going to school in Washington, DC. He lived in New Jersey. He moved back home after he graduated to New Jersey. So I would spend, I spent two summers there in New Jersey, which is like two extra summers than <laughs> anyone should spend in New Jersey. But um, actually, I got to spend a lot of time in Philly, which I loved. Philly, Philly, Philly. Was 
love Philly. Could Thank totally you. live there. So anyways, basically he told me he, he, he just like wanted to live in New Jersey for the rest of his life. And I'm just like, that is not on any vision board of mine. Um, <laughs> sorry, I shouldn't be on anyone's vision board. And <laughs> like, that's someone else's dream. And now he's married to his like New Jersey princess and I wish them the best. But that's what I mean. Like, I think I had a hard time accepting that like he didn't want what I want and like that both of our wants weren't wrong. I mean, obviously like I was kind of like, okay, that's kind of lame. You want to stay there, but (laughs) that's what he wanted. And like, I just feel like we both kept trying to like fight against it. And that's why it didn't work. Also, when you have a terrible communicator, like you guys were saying, like, obviously I wanted to talk about it and like, oh, like you don't feel like we're having enough phone sex. Let's talk about it. Like, I'm glad you brought it up. But like, he just like, that was like the one complaint he had throughout the whole thing. And then like, just didn't want to talk about anyone, anything else. So I'm just like, someone that shuts down also like, shouldn't really be in a long distance thing. Cause it's I hard. love when they compromise to what you want. Brian wanted to live in Northern California, planning on living in Southern California. We had a letter writer a couple weeks ago, um, who I happen to know was writing us about how her boyfriend wanted to live in LA but she was in New York and whether they should break up or like, you know, leave the opportunity out there. We all told her to break up with him. They happen to be now living both in New York. So again, when they compromise to what you want can be successful. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, that really shows though how much, you know, he does love her. I mean, make a move like that is so huge. Like Matt made a sacrifice. Um, you know, and I, but with the faith that like we were going to do this together and, you know, that it's worth it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love a happy ending. Well, Rachel, we took up so much of your time. Thank you so much for coming on. Tell people all the places that they can find you. Um, at Wolfie Comedy on Instagram and Twitter. I deleted my Facebook, so should you. Um, at Wolfie Memes on Instagram and Twitter, and then I'm on Cameo. Like if any, like literally, it's usually just kind of men who book me <laughs> through pep talks on Cameo. Um, but yeah, if, if there's any male listeners out there or females, um, I do Cameo now because that's where I'm at. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, we'll go follow Rachel, go book her on Cameo, do all the things. And Rachel, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. She is funny. I love her. <laughs> that was um, a great episode. Next week, we have another amazing guest. You guys are not going to believe it. All right. Well, until next time. It's going down the DMs. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.